You're listening to a Hebrew in Israel podcast with Yoel HaLevi, exploring the language, culture, and history of the Bible. For more information, visit us at hebrewinisrael.net. Shalom, everyone. Uh, we're back, finally. Uh, this is Yoel for Tzor Lamikra, and I'm very glad to be back in uh, recording these shows. I had to take a bit of a break. Um, I was done with another year of university, so I was basically tired, unfortunately. And um, this is also a great time to re- to go back to the recordings because we're basically starting a new Torah cycle. And um, I'm actually very excited about doing the Book of Genesis because I've actually d- taken a course about the Book of Genesis, which was very, very, very interesting. And, you know, there's a, a lot of questions that people ask about the book of Genesis, the, some of the stories, especially the early stories of mankind. I keep on seeing specific questions that people raise. And, you know, I, and I understand the questions. I mean, I, I think that everyone asks those questions throughout the centuries. I don't think there's anything new about these questions. And uh, people have been trying to answer them all the time. And we've reached a point where, a lot of people say, well, these stories really are more to represent an idea than an actual fact. And um, I don't necessarily agree with this opinion, but I understand the, um, the, the, the side of this when you have these discussions about the early stories of Genesis, because we have to remember that these stories were written many, 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 many years, if not centuries, if not millennia, after the, these accounts. And... Really, because there's an, there's an overall message um, in the book of Genesis, I think that uh, we're not dealing with, with attempts to present facts. We're here to present facts with an idea behind them. So was there an Adam and Eve? Well, if we believe that there's a creator, then we have to answer, say that the answer is yes. On the other hand, the exact details of what was given to us about Adam and Eve we're presenting a very specific light. So, on the one hand, we're dealing with what I consider to be facts, but on the other hand, we're dealing with an ideology, with with ideas, with metaphors, and so on. And one of the first things that comes up all the time when people discuss the stories of Genesis is the relationship these stories have with other stories that exist in other parts of the Bible, other parts of the Near Eastern world and creation stories, and so on. And I have to say something like this. We actually had to study a lot of the creation stories for this course, and I read a lot of these original sources. Um, What's really interesting is to read these sources when you read them in Hebrew, because Hebrew is much closer to Akkadian, then the stories make a lot more sense. I mean, you can actually, I actually have the stories in one column in Akkadian, because you have the Sumerian stories, and Sumerian is not even related to Semitic languages. But you see the Akkadian versions of these stories, like the, the Akkadian version of the Anuma Elish, the Akkadian version of the Gildamesh stories, and so on. And you can actually see, first of all, we know as a fact that these stories were slightly altered in each layer, because we have earlier layers and latter layers of, of how these stories were written. And we can see that there were, so, there were a lot of variants of these stories as well. But what's very interesting, one of the things that's pointed out is that the, the way that the Bible describes these stories is very, very different. 
But let's start off first of all with, with the relationship between these stories. Because these are creation stories and everyone's telling more or less the same story, then we have to say that there's something to it. The moment there's there's a rule in history. We use it for a moment here, one of the tools that you learn to when you when you do a degree in history, is that when you compare different sources, what you do is you each source comes from a different writer. And writers sometimes might base everything they say on this one source, or that there can be several sources for the same story. And what happens is that when we look at these different these different versions of, say, an account of something, what we try to do is first of all see what's similar and what's different between these different accounts. But the first thing that we assume is that all the accounts describe something that actually happened. So when I say, for example, take the story, this was a very interesting thing we had to read. When I take the story of the crowning of uh, the first Moravingian king in the 6th century, of Clovis, the first Moravingian king, the person who really started Europe as we know it, um, we look at the different versions of the story of the crowning and we find variants where they're all, t they're all telling more or less the same story. They all, it all happens in the same place. It all happens with more or less the same characters. It all happens with with uh, at a certain date and so on. But then, for example, one variant will tell you that he entered on uh, a certain date. Or another place, they'll say that he entered um, that he entered uh, three entered Rome at one date and then um, um, he was done in front of. 3,000 warriors, or those warriors that didn't exist, and so on. So in every story, you always have legendary parts while you have the actual facts. So first of all, when we deal with the creation story itself, there are there's an agreement between all the different sources. All the different sources say there is a creator. All the, it doesn't really matter who, these creator, who the creator is at the moment, but they all agree that there's some kind of a creator. And that there was some kind of primeval mankind, some early version of mankind, and that developed into who we are today. But then we start stepping into the massive differences. Now, the question is why these differences exist. Are these differences out of ideology? Or are these differences basically saying, no, you got the wrong version of the story? And this is a very difficult question to answer. But I do want to point out something very important. The, the main point here for me is not trying to validate the Bible or not, because I come from a point of faith, so I say it's real. But my point is to deal more with the arguments that certain people make about the Bible, which I have to present as a, as a falsehood. And people keep on saying, oh, this was copied from here, this was copied from there, and so on. So let's deal first of all with the creation story. The narrative of creating in seven days, I haven't found anyone that takes a narrative like that. The idea of creating order, we find variants of that. But what's interesting is that Genesis does not present a story of a struggle between good and evil. People always talk about the creation story, the, the, the Anuma Elish, the, the Sumerian slash Babylonian creation story. That creation story is very, very different. The Mordug has to battle Tiamat, who's a representative of evil and so on. So yes, we have Tiamat and Epsu both represent water. Tiamat, salt water, Epsu represents um, sweet water. So we have the element of waters in this story. 
But that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that someone sat down and copied and said, oh, look, I'm going to take this concept of water and present it here. No. What the Torah describes is that there was water on the face of the earth, and the water had to be removed. The element of the struggle between good and evil is completely and utterly diffused in the story of Genesis. There's nothing to even hint to this. And people argue, but what about the other descriptions? Yeah, for example, in Isaiah and, and Job and so on. But th that's, that's a different discussion because it, it might be that they were borrowing ideas to present the, the, for, for listeners in the ancient Near East to say, listen, I'm going to take your mythology, but what I'm talking about in your mythology are characters who actually live today. So, for example, if we have a crocodile who's in the sea, like Pharaoh, it's, it's a hint a bit to some primeval beasts that might existed, but they're really talking about Pharaoh. There it's very, very blunt, but we have other places where, you know, you, know you, you crushed the head of Leviathan, okay? That can also, again, be be a metaphor to something else. And this is the thing. People like taking up the anti-Bible ideas instead of saying, well, there are other opinions here as well. There are other ways of reading this. This is this is a commonality that I keep on seeing when people use biases. When you have a bias, obviously you're going to say, well, I want to read this one and not that one. And the other thing that drives me crazy with people is this this weakness. You take, for example, the the uh, people, Jewish people who write books, and they're trying to go in mainstream biblical studies, but then but they never challenge themselves to say, oh, wait, maybe there's something wrong in the way it's presented. Echeska you know, Koifman, for example, did the same. He did this. He he challenged the way the 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 scientific quote unquote world deals with the subject of biblical studies. Because he said, you're trying to continue the heritage of people like Wilhausen, where we know as a fact that he had agendas. And the more people, the more we discover, and the more we look into the history and, and find things in, outside of this little world that Wilhausen created, we discover the Bible is actually very accurate in a lot of, a lot of accounts. It just depends on how you read things, how you look at things. It really depends on your mindset because you can see something you can sit in front of your eyes and you completely ignore it because you're trying to look at something else. And this is the nature of mankind. And I think the stories of Genesis are trying to tell us this, that we as mankind are very susceptible to ideas instead of allowing truth to just sit there and just be truths. Everything has to be reversed in the world that we deal with today. Everything has changed. Everything is not what we think it is. And I'm, I'm really getting fed up of this new reading in something or this new idea. In the ancient world, people just did, and, and it, that was it. Everything was in a cycle. Everything was structured. And there were no, no, not too many discussions about what does a verse mean, because they just knew what it meant. They just did what it, they, they did what it said, and that was it. But going back to the story of Genesis, so we have that element. So the element of the struggle between good and evil doesn't exist in the story. God is presented as an absolute power, as the one who controls everything with, with no, one, no one debating him. The only character that appears as an adversary to God, as the one who defies the word of God, is man. Man is presented as a creation of God, but he is also the one that rebels against God. It's a very different way of looking at it than the reason for creation. Why was man created? Why was nature created and so on? In the, excuse me, in the Enuma Elish, the man is created and the reality of man is created to serve the gods. To serve the gods. The gods kind of got tired 
and and they 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 wanted someone to serve them, someone who who do everything for them. And that's, by the way, where the sacrificial system in, in, in pagan religions came from. You're actually feeding the gods. The gods need you. Here it's different. God is presented as an, as, as an absolute power, as omnipotent. There's, there's nothing that stands against him. There's nothing that he actually needs. Which raised the question that many people asked. So, And again, this is a question people asked during the Hellenistic and the Roman period, which opened up a lot of people to Judaism, a lot of people to the Bible, and enabled Christianity to spread as well. They said, oh, God is good. God in his nature is good. He decided that he wanted something in the universe that he can spread this goodness to. Now, we have to remember what, what happens in the book of Job. In Job, God says to, to Job that he has no ability to understand God. We're not, I'm not presuming here that I understand God. I'm not presuming here that, that I know exactly what God wants in, in the sense of his, his personal. We know what he wants from the sense of what he gave us as a Torah. But beyond that, we, we stumbled with a difficulty of exactly who, what, where, and how on the, on the level of the nature of God. But we can see a few things. And it seems to be that God wanted, decided, that he wanted something else besides him that he can spread his goodness to. And that brought a lot of people into, into Torah, into Judaism, and also into Christianity. It helped change the, the reality of religion in general, where there's always good and bad, there's always, gods are always petty and cruel. And this, by the way, this is what brought, um, uh, I can't remember if it was Justin Martin, Mother, or was it Marcion? I can't remember who was the one that argued that there are two gods. Um, but the, some some very early Christian writers insisted on these ideas because they weren't yet able to absorb the idea of absolute goodness with no challenge. This is why, by the way, why Christianity had to create a devil. This is why the devil is such a prominent element in a lot of Christian circles, because still they have, it's, it's, we're still looking at a reality of people that have difficulty get, releasing themselves from this, this, this dichotomy of everything has to be in a balance of good and evil. Everything has to have a good side and a bad side. The book of Genesis is the exact opposite. Everything is the creation of God. It is the decision of those inside the creation if they want to be good or bad. But at the end of the day, God is the absolute power over everything. Adam and Eve sinned, the snake caused them to sin, everyone was punished. No one was given any, any ability to, to object to God. And it wasn't done through a struggle. God said, he decreed it to happen, and it happened. So there's a difference here in the way the balance of good and evil and so on in the mindset of the book of Genesis. And I think the rest of the Bible agrees with this. Now, uh, in the Anuma Elish, man is created to serve the gods, and man is also destroyed because he made noise to the gods. So the gods are described as petty and cruel and very selfish and so on. Now, um, also the book of Genesis, the first chapter of Genesis, is, is strongly focused on the idea of the Sabbath. Everything builds up in this cycle of six to seven, which is a classic cycle of seven, something builds up into seven, seven being this absolute number, a number of completion, but everything also builds up in this, in this ideology of the Sabbath. Everything it leads into the Sabbath. It doesn't lead, it leads into the Sabbath and it leads into man being the pinnacle of creation. Man is not 
presented as this this low creature who who's there to be the subjugated being of the gods. Man is the pinnacle of creation. Man is created in the image of God. And therefore man is, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but the, the God on earth, I'm going to say. You know, this is with gigantic quote-unquotes. Um, you know, but the whole idea is that man is presented as being the image of God. Man is presented as the pinnacle of creation. But man is also is also created before the Sabbath. The Sabbath being that that element that that brings all creation to the realization that there is a creator. It kind of reminds me of the verse of Ish Every man should fear his mother and father, his father and mother. No, Every person must fear his mother and father, but you also have to respect my Sabbaths that there's this this balance in the universe where mankind is the pinnacle and mankind should, should treat creation and obviously one another with love and favor being created in the image of God but we have to also remember that God is above everything and therefore if man strays away from what God told him to do then God has to intervene the concept that there is an absolute power and it always brings me to this discussion about man deciding things and today with the reality that we have that people do whatever they want people do you know you have people doing absurd things sometimes people completely reversing the world and 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 it always brings this concept that mankind is like a child and adam and eve are presented like children adam and eve are presented as if they're children as if they're um growing there's this idea that um, Adam and Eve were sent away from the garden not as a punishment. Now, this is not necessarily exactly how the Bible intended to present it, but th- there's is this there is an idea that started showing up in the in the 18th century that interpreted the story not necessarily as being a punishment, but being a, a way for mankind to redeem itself that you're sent to an exile so you will be educated in how to behave now the thing is we don't really know how long adam and eve were actually in the garden they might have been there for thousands of years we have, we have no way of knowing and that the mistake happened much much later that they were around there for a very 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 long time and this happened many many centuries of not millennia after they were actually created and that sending away from the garden has an element this this is how they claim this that there's an element that because god gives them clothing he doesn't just throw them out he gives them clothing is a sign of i'm not completely and utterly angry with you i'm upset you know you've done something and you know i have to as a parent have to react to what you did so i'm sending you away but i'm not going to send you away with absolutely nothing i'm going to send you away with some clothing so you also remember you, you there is a father he is waiting for you so mankind is basically still in a process of learning to become a grown-up learning to respect one another and unfortunately, 
not everyone has come to this understanding. Not everyone understands that we just need to respect one another. And that's how we can... Because the thing is, that the moment we decide to put our, our grievances aside, suddenly we flourish. The moment we decide to work together, we flourish. Take the example of Spain. Spain in um, the, the early medieval age was a land of philosophers. Jews, Christians, and Muslims lived side by side, and no one had any difficulty with one another. All it took is a spark of jealousy, which is really a childish element. And we, we can't argue that you know, most of us do have a jealousy of one, of one kind of the other. And it, it, think about what it does to us. It makes us childish. It makes us lose this, this will to be with one another. And in theory, a grown-up is supposed to control his jealousy, he's supposed to control his anger, and so on. And I would say that God is just waiting for us to finally realize that we just need to live side by side. And when we live side by side, the world flourishes, the world develops, the world has the ability to grow and become healthier. And that's one of the ideas that some people present, that the story of the expulsion of God of Eden is not all bad. It's also, it has positive elements in it. So it's an interesting idea that, that was presented before me uh, in some of the classes that I've taken. Um, what other differences do we have? Um, really, there are, I mean, there are a few other points. I mean, also the story of Noah, we'll get to that next week. I'll point that out as well. But the story, the creation story here is very, very different. Another, um, and I'm only giving the tip of the iceberg. I mean, I'm saying go out there. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of stuff to read. Don't fall for everything that's shown mostly on the mainstream of, of information that's presented to the, to the common reader. There are so many books, like the JPS, uh, the JPS Study Bible, the Jewish Study Bible, or 101... Um, I think it's called 101 Myths in the Bible or something like that. These are books which are written with, I was going to say, a suck-up to the academic world. And I find it very appalling that the other opinions are hidden. It's the exact opposite of the concept of academia. The original idea, when the Renaissance of Thought came to mankind, and people started thinking, the idea was that we're going to allow people to think and express themselves, and if they can prove what they claim, we accept it. But it's amazing that when it comes to the Bible, everything gets buried. When it's amazing when historical facts point out to inconvenient realities, they're buried. And and it's it's very, very difficult to, to as an academic, it's very difficult to... to be um, vocal about why the Bible has truths in it and why the Bible is real and why, why the God of Israel does exist. It's very because for them, first of all, they're based on secular ideas, they're based on sometimes anti religious ideas and it's also anti Semitism. There are, we know as a fact that people like Wilhausen, Gretz, and so on, these were people that deliberately, deliberately developed an anti-Semitic approach to biblical studies. There's several papers that I've read that, in, that actually quote the people who did this. They've quoted them from their books, or they quoted them from a lecture they gave early on, and they cemented the ideas of how people study biblical studies, and people fall for this all the time. 
I, I for example, wrote a paper about the uh, document hypothesis. And I wrote, I wrote a very, very long paper about this. It was much, much longer than what my professor wanted us to write, but I, I had to write it. It was about twice the size. And I had to write it, and I wrote an apology saying, I'm sorry, but I had a lot to say about this. And she had no problem with it. She actually, she actually was pretty amazing because she read it. And she said, yeah, well, we can argue some arguments against what you wrote here. But what she was very impressed with is that the fact that I took a very, very academic approach and, and explained why I think the document hypothesis has a lot of issues with it. And she told me that there are many, that she actually said that there are, what I wrote was written by other people that I've never heard of. And, and, there, and in, in academic circles, these arguments are accepted. But what comes out, what you actually hear in the general public, you, you don't really hear what's going on inside, which is very sad. It's very, very sad. Um, well, there's so, there's so many things to say about Genesis. Uh, the, 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 just, just Bereshit, there's so many things to talk about. Um, another very interesting thing uh, that, that comes out is that the years people lived all these many, many years that people lived. It's a very interesting thing that we find a very similar element to what's called the Sumerian king list, where kings lived there. There the numbers like tens of thousands of years, but the, the idea of people living uh, a longer life uh, is something we find in the ancient Near East as well. And again, we have to remember that this balance with the ancient Near East is, is something we have to be very careful with. The fact that we find something in the ancient, ancient Near East doesn't mean we have to jump out of seats and say, oh, look, it proves the Bible. We have to be very, very careful with that because also people shared a lot of things. So something actually, those who do read my Facebook feed, uh, I did point out the fact that there's an element of sharing. Cultures shared a lot of things. And what it seems to be is that the Bible, the Torah is actually giving us what it perceives as being the, the, the and what I, and I agree with this, what it perceives to be the original story. It diffuses the mythological elements. Um, there's an interesting quote by uh, Shmuel David Luzzato. It was an Italian commentator on the Bible. He wrote this really wonderful book about the, uh, the Torah. He wrote another one about the book of Isaiah, a very interesting book as well. I was actually able to get in my, put my hands on these books. Some, the one in Isaiah is a little bit rare. And there's also a very rare book about his commentary on the rest of the prophets. And uh, what was very interesting there is he, he pointed out many, many years ago, uh, in the 1800s, he pointed something out that I think scholars took him another almost 100 years to, to admit to this, is that the Bible diffuses the mythological side of things. That he, he says that many of, the, many of the gods, many of the, the, the pagan gods, might have, <clears throat> excuse me, might have actually been people that myths developed around them. And he said this at a time where astrology and, and, and Egyptology and so on was really only beginning. And he already picked up on this idea that men became gods. And I remember listening to a lecture about pre-dynastic Egypt. We're talking about 3000, what's known as 3000 BC, before the times of Jar, the first pharaoh. And what's interesting is that Egypt uh, iconography always depicts the kings as gods. That really the first gods of mankind were just human beings that were presented. I mean, some of the earlier representations of gods, let's put it that, because in some cases things are depicted as actual gods. But a lot of, a lot of the specific gods, the gods that belong to like specific activities of mankind, um, not, cre not creating gods, but gods that are part of agriculture, of 
different types of free Freemasonry and, and so on were all just people. And he kind of goes like, oh, this, this character really is the one that came to become Apollo at one point and so on. And he said, these are just human beings that became gods. And he was onto basically two things, the fusion of, of mythology and the, the something that at least that Egyptologists came to the understanding that many of the gods were really just humans, were just really people that became gods. Here, the Bible um, doesn't have a history of God because the God of Israel was never a man. He, 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 he was not a manifestation of a person. This is, this, is, this is an absolute power that exists. Now again, the discussion of, of, of theology and proving religion and so on, it's not something I'm going to be doing here because it's, it's something that, you know, if we start going into that, then we have to start talking about so many fields that I don't really have much understanding in, like physics and biology and so on. And also, by the way, in the field of physics, I mean, there are some things that I've read throughout, throughout the years that actually indicate sudden creation there was a I mentioned him before Emmanuel Velikovsky who had a degree in physics he had, he had like six six PhDs or something that's what, that's what I remember and he pointed out to a lot of things in, in science already back in the 1960s he pointed out to a lot of things that indicated that the, the reality is very very different and now physicists are starting to realize this as well but again this is not my field I can't really claim that I know something about it okay so that's some some notes about the uh, the the elements of of the book of Genesis. I do want to talk about one last thing. Okay, um, it's the subject of vegetarianism. Um, I, and by the way, I know that what I've said here is very again very general, and this is what I do. I give you general ideas to start thinking. I, I I'm not here to tell people what to think. I'm here to at the moment at least what I'm doing these days <clears throat> is I'm <clears throat> excuse me is I'm trying to roll certain balls because I know that people are, a lot of the people that I work with, a lot of people that I come in contact with, a lot of people that read what I write are dealing with, with, with very similar ideas. And I'm saying, remember that the first thing you need to know is how to approach information. You can have piles and piles of information in your head and have absolutely nothing to do with it. You have no idea how to work with it. I've met people like that, oh, I read this, I read that, and then you start asking about implementing the information, they kind of stumble. No, not everyone. I've met a lot of people who are brilliant, they read a lot and everything, and they came to their own conclusions, and again, we're just people. But I know that the, a lot of people from emails that I receive and messages that I get on Facebook and so on, I know that people are reading certain books, and they say, so what do I do with this? And they get really confused because they're approaching information without knowing how to approach the information. So just realize that the fact that there's a similarity doesn't mean it's exactly the same. There's always going to be discrepancy. And when you look closely, you see a discrepancy. Why do things have similarities is already a different discussion. A discussion that, by the way, even, even Bible scholars can't really give you an absolute answer. They'll say, oh, someone copied from someone. But that's not necessarily the answer. It can also be that this was general knowledge. Like a friend of mine posted and said, this happened with all of mankind. So all of mankind would have a variant of this story because everyone, it was passed down to everyone. So he has a variant and he has a variant and he has a variant. It, what it shows is that everyone had an historical memory of something. It didn't spread out. Anyway. You can't claim the Sumerian story is the origins of it, because even the Sumerian story has variants. 
There were several writers that wrote at the same time, and each one of them told the story differently, or slightly differently from one another. We've never discovered this, the first writing. There's no such thing. It does not exist, and therefore removes the entire idea that there's this original source. Besides the fact that these, these, most of these were actually probably told originally oral, in an oral tradition, which means that it wasn't, it was passed down through a lot of different people. So this is, this is, there's a complexity here that I keep on telling people who say, oh, it's copied from me. I said, you don't really understand how these things work. You don't understand ancient liter literature. It's, it's, it's not like we have, for example, Agatha Christie or something, and she's the origin of a certain story, and someone wrote a variant of it. This is a very, very different world. As I say, stop trying to read the Bible in the eyes of modern-day man. It's a very, very different world. We've gone through so many changes, it's not the same. But going to the subject of vegetarianism, this is the last thing I'm going to talk about today. Vegetarianism. So, is vegetarianism something that the Bible says we're supposed to do? I've met a lot of people who are vegetarians or even vegans who try to use, this, for example, the stories of Genesis and, and so on and trying to claim that because Adam and Eve were vegetarian, were presum presumably were vegetarian, if not vegan, therefore we all must be vegetarian and vegan and so on. So there was an interesting article written about the book of Genesis called Utopia. And the article basically goes over the idea that the story of Genesis, especially the beginning story with Adam and Eve, is a utopia. We don't live in that reality at the moment. It's not the same. To try to live by ideals is a wonderful thing. I actually think it's very sad that many of us don't have ideals. Many people um, just go through life without ideals. And that's basically what's created this, this massive mess that we have today in our world that, that people are willing to accept the idea, for example, of treason as being something acceptable. That when you have someone who commits treason against his own people, that you, you don't punish them, they're right. You know, it's, There are a lot of weird things which are going on in our world. And people claim that, for example, loyalty to your country is now a um, is now a, an idiotic idea. But again, you know, we're all mankind, I agree, but not all mankind agrees with your idea. And therefore, by doing that, you're making yourself susceptible. susceptible. Yeah. You know which word I mean. It's, as anyone who listens to these recordings knows that some words are mess up, uh, susceptible to the um, to the dangers of those who don't share your ideas. It's very nice to sit around a campfire and yell out kumbaya, but at the end of the day, not everyone is like you. So there's a utopia here. Now, I'm not against vegetarianism or veganism. I'm actually, you know, I understand why people do this. But to try to claim that the Bible or Torah or even or in Judaism even Halakha says that you, that you're supposed to be a vegetarian or a vegan, I'm, I, I raise a very very big question or flag about that one, because first of all, in the in the Book of Leviticus, we have sacrifices that the owners have to eat. Also, we're talking about the Israel, Israelite society. You know, they, protein was very scarce back then, and people ate protein when, whenever they could. So I'm very doubtful if people refrain from eating meat and so on. And really, you know, also we have the story of Noah. They're, they're allowed to eat meat. It changes. 
God changed the decree. Mankind might have been, you know, vegetarian for a very, very long time, or you know, or not, because it really the, the, the decree to Noah doesn't really prove that they were that everyone was vegetarian. Um, I think that that what happened there was that vegetarianism was an ideal, and it's presented that way that to, for mankind to live in harmony with the rest of his creation. Um, I, I, I don't like what they try to present in the, the Noah movie where um, you know Noah's presented as, 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 as kind of some kind of quasi-vegetarian and in, 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 the, in the camp of, of the evil humans are all eating animals and so on and butchering and, and, and so forth. I, th I, think, I think that's a wrong representation, but I think that what, the, what, what is presented is that there's an ideal and the, and the Torah recognizes this ideal cannot exist with every human being. Now, this is why God says, you can eat meat. This is why the Torah says, we eat meat, because at the end of the day, not everyone can live in, in, in an ideal world. That people have a nature. So the Torah, in, in its way, the way it presents things, tries to create a balance. And you can see in a lot of different places that... You know, you you want to eat meat. This is the way you're going to eat meat. You want to have sexual relations. This is the way it's done. Instead of working against human nature, it's finding ways to work with human nature. And I think the story, the early stories of mankind, which is the stories of Adam, the story of Adam and Eve, the story of the flood, show the recognition that mankind is not the is not an idealistic being. That some of us can be idealistic and some of us not. So if a person wants to be a, a, a vegetarian or a vegan, good for them. I think, I think it's a healthy mindset. But on the other hand, to, to tell people, oh, the way of the Torah is to be a vegetarian or a vegan, I think that's a stretch. I think it's a stretch. I think that God in his, his great wisdom has created a lot of plant-based uh, foods that we can eat that will sustain us. In, in a great manner. And I think that the, the infinite wisdom of the Creator has given mankind ways of working with these products to produce the maximum um, efficiency of these products. But then the Almighty, in His great wisdom, also recognizes the weaknesses of mankind and says, I'm also going to allow this. So, yes, it seems to be that there's, there's this early stage in humanity that people were vegetarian, at least some people were vegetarian. But I don't think the Bible presents this as an ideal. I think it presents it as, as a, a type of a type of reality that human beings lived in for a while. But I think the Torah did not present this as an ideal because the Torah also recognizes the nature of mankind, which is really a theme that I find in the Torah in general. And I think the first stories of, of Genesis support this, that... I think that the, the first parashot, Bereshit and Noach, are really there also as a, a discussion about mankind in general. So uh, with these thoughts, I'm going to wish everyone a Shabbat Shalom, and I hope you enjoyed this. I will be glad to hear people's responses. Please respond. Please send me emails. I'll be very glad to have discussions with people about this. And as I said, general ideas hopefully will be developed in the future. Shabbat Shalom.